came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowd sought to touch him for the power had come out from him and healed them all. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did of the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the word of our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask today that by the power and enabling of your Holy Spirit, you would help us to hear what your Spirit is saying to the church, either through me or in spite of me. We pray that your word would rise to the surface of our hearts and change us from the inside out. May you comfort us where we need encouragement. May you challenge us where we're stubborn. Break off the shell that is keeping us from receiving all that God has intended for the people that he so loves. May our eyes be clear and our minds be clear that we might understand, even if it's just a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like, that we would take another step further. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Everybody said, amen. Hey, have you ever, uh, <laughs> have you ever tried to scratch an itch on your back that you couldn't reach with your hands? Right? You guys know what I'm talking about? So it's not just me. There's like a square inch of real estate on your back that you just, it is impossible to reach. It doesn't matter if you throw your arm over your shoulder or your arm under uh, the other arm or if you try to do like the Brazilian jiu-jitsu thing, like there's a, a section between your shoulder blades that you physically cannot touch. And that is always where you itch, right? And it doesn't even matter if you back up into the corner of a wall and just start scratching the itch. It moves to another part of your back. There's actually a term for this. It's only for animals. I don't know if it's for humans, but acnestis. It is the section on your back that your hands cannot scratch. Medical terminology. Now, I bring this up because the section of Scripture that we're reading has to do with a multitude of people, crowds of people, that are starting to realize that they have an itch that they cannot scratch, right? Jesus has not just started his ministry at this point in the Gospel of Luke. He's been doing it, but he's been doing it one-on-one. He's been doing what he set out to do in Luke chapter 4, to heal the sick, to proclaim good news to the poor, to set people free, to open the eyes of the blind, uh, to deliver people from the, uh, the, the, the schemes of the devil. And he's been doing this on a personal level at, the, at Peter's uh, mother-in-law's house, at her home, uh, the leper in another home, in synagogues here and there, just one-on-one. But now, in Luke chapter 6, 
All of these little glimpses of the kingdom of God as expressed in Jesus are starting to get some traction. And the crowds are gathering around Jesus. For what? To get an itch scratched. They all feel it collectively, and it's different for different people. Some of them uh, have unclean spirits. Others have diseases they want to be healed by. Others need power for other sorts of healing. Others just wanted to hear him. But there's an itch, a collective itch in humanity that must be scratched. And the crowds are gathering around this Jesus because he's different than everybody else. He's able to touch something that remain behind closed doors. And we all have an itch. It might be what you see in the scriptures at face value. It might be demonic oppression. It might be what Jesus would go on to describe as poverty, being poor. It might be hungry, uh, that you're hungry, that you don't have enough. But it could be something else that's not on the list. It could be anxiety. It could be a difficult situation, an impossible situation at work or at home, It could be that your marriage is starting to fall apart. It could be some other vignette of human suffering. Whatever it is, the itch refers to something that is wrong with human life. I think collectively, most of us know that. We want to scratch the itch, and yet we cannot reach it satisfactorily. Even though we might try, and I, I think... I suspect that that's why Jesus includes in these Beatitudes. He doesn't in the the Matthew version. I think that's why he probably includes this list of woes. As you're reading this, you might might feel a little confused about it. He goes on and he, he begins to condemn certain things. But woe to you who are rich. Woe to you who are full now. Woe to you who laugh now. Woe to you when people speak well of you. Now, Jesus is not condemning these things per se. It's not that it's wrong to be wealthy. It's not wrong to fill your stomach and to be full. That would be an awkward lunch today, right? It's not even wrong to laugh. Jesus does several of those things in other situations. They're not wrong in and of themselves. What Jesus seems to be suggesting and warning about is people's tendency to use stuff like this in order to scratch the unscratchable itch. That's why he couples with those warnings lines like this. Woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your consolation. To those who have no other course of action than just to accumulate in order to console what is going on inside. In other words, Jesus seems to be saying, hey, Those things aren't bad in and of themselves, but if that's all you've got in this life, this life is as good as it's going to get for you. If all you've got is stuff, that stuff is as good as it's going to get. Enjoy it because it doesn't last. If a full stomach, if satisfied appetites is all that you've got going on, if that's what you've been using to satisfy an eternal itch, This is as good as it's going to get. And it will not satisfy the longing and the turmoil that rumbles underneath the surface. It won't reach the itch. Woe to you that turn to these things as though that's all you've got going for you. And Jesus steps in on the scene as he's been doing chapter after chapter. 
to proclaim like a bullhorn across the Galilean countryside and to the nations. I am the only one who can scratch the itch of humanity. What is that itch for you? Notice that when Jesus comes, he could have spoken to anybody, but he assembles a crowd and he immediately speaks to a group of people. I don't know if they're there listening or the word is carried along, but he is very direct in who, he, in, in who the good news is coming to. Blessed are the poor, the hungry, the weeping, the excluded. You can probably just keep going. The anxious, the weary, the tired, the confused, the embarrassed, the humiliated. Jesus is making a point about how the kingdom works. It doesn't value the same things that the world values. If a superhero were to come in on the scene and to relieve humanity from its itch, who would they come to? The powerful and the rich and the wealthy and the well-resourced. When God sends his hero, when he sends his son, he sends it to the people who have nothing and know about it. And in a single sentence, he proclaims the good news in one solitary, power-packed word. You know what it is? Blessed. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are weeping. Blessed are those who are excluded. And so on and so forth. What does it mean to be blessed? Because for probably a lot of people, what Jesus is saying does not line up with our worldview. Are the poor really blessed? Are those who are in the middle of deep, agonizing suffering and weeping in great travail, is it possible for them to simultaneously be blessed? That's what Jesus is saying. And this is completely foreign to the way that we tend to think about things, that the way we tend to think about what is the good life. What is the good life? What will we describe as being blessed? We might say stuff and things and relational connections, affirmation from my peers, things going well at work. What does it mean to have the good life? What does it mean to be blessed? All of those things. It looks like my life being under my control and going the way that I want it to. No, there's two words in the New Testament that the apostles and Jesus would have used for blessed. Two different words that end up getting translated into the same English word blessed, which depending on which word you're thinking of can change, can completely change the way that you think about a life in Christ. Think of, a, think of a similar word, like trunk, right? In English, that could mean all sorts of different things. It could mean the back of your car. It could mean your travel suitcase. It could mean the nose of an elephant. And depending on the context in which you are speaking, it could have tremendous implications for your life. For example, if you were to say to somebody at the zoo to put some watermelons in the trunk and you were referring to the Toyota Camry, but they thought you meant uh, Sujatha at the Santa Barbara Zoo, things might go very difficultly for them. Just made up a word right there. One of the words that uh, the New Testament authors like to use sometimes for blessed is a word called eulogio. Eulogio. This is like a standard request for blessing. 
Uh, this happens all over the scriptures. Think of uh, when Jacob is wrestling with the angel and the angel tells him to let him go. And Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Same type of idea right there. He's asking for something that he does not yet have. Or even uh, next week in the text that we're going to look at when Jesus speaks about radical and supernatural love in a disciple and what that looks like, one of the words that he calls his disciples to do is to bless those who curse you. Why? Because the person that you hate, that you're holding in contempt, does not yet have your blessing. And you're being called on to give that person something that they do not yet have. It works in a variety of situations. That's why the term eulogio comes into play. But if Jesus were using that right here, it would have some tremendous implications. Jesus would be asking the Father to bless the poor because they're not blessed. Why? Because they're poor. Or think of all the other examples. God, will you bless those who are weeping because they're weeping? Anybody, uh, anybody in the room ever grow up uh, being taught family scripts that uh, pleasant emotions were good and godly, but non-pleasant ones like anger and anxiety and sadness were bad emotions? Same type of reasoning right there. Well, if I feel anger, bad, I'm unblessed. So therefore, I must be happy. That is not the word that Jesus uses here. For him to do that would imply that your circumstances are what dictate whether you're blessed by God. That would mean that your measurement for whether God is in favor of you is whether things in your life are under your control. But the two are not always a a corollary. Sometimes your circumstances are completely out of control and yet God remains faithful, present, and connected to your life, even if you don't realize it or sense it. But that is a foreign thing for a lot of people's minds to wrap around because we don't associate suffering as being in the same category with blessing. It's maybe hard. Maybe you're sitting down today and you're like, how can you possibly be going through a difficulty in life and still be blessed? In fact, look at the way that we use the term blessed to describe our own lives. You might use it when somebody sneezes, that too, bless you. Why? What's that mean? I don't know. Just what you say, social norm. Uh, I recently checked on, a, I did an experiment through a, a peer-reviewed, powerful search engine of research called Instagram, and I did this, <laughs> I did this by searching for the hashtag blessed. Now, for those of you that don't know what a hashtag is, that is a pound sign followed by any word, the combination of which creates a tag, a piece of metadata that allows you to search everything that has that tag attached to it. So, for example, if you want to see some incredible Uh, supernatural displays of prowess on the soccer field, just uh, search for hashtag Ronaldo, right? You'll see all of these soccer players, incredible, stuff like that. If you want to see what people mean when they describe their life as blessed, search hashtag blessed. So I did. Uh, I think we have a picture. I put this up, I searched blessed. This is actually the top seven ways people describe their life as blessed. The first one is blessed. People describe their life as blessed be Blessed up, blessed prayer hands, blessed mom, blessed afternoon, 
all sorts of blessings. I want you to look, I want you to look at this. <laughs> I want you to look at the top one. Ninety-two million six hundred and forty-four thousand seven hundred and thirty-four public posts with the blessed hashtag. That means if you go through all ninety-two million, which I did last night, you'll be able to see what most people think of as the blessing of God. I won't take you through all 92 million. I'll just give you the top seven that kept showing up. Ready? Here's what blessed means to most Americans. A large backyard. Vacations. Fishing that results in catching fish. Poolside activities. Hiking. Drinks, either cocktails or coffees. Or taking pictures while puckering at a 30-degree angle. Blessed. If you go through all of this, you see that most people, just probably like most of us, consider blessed to be something to describe a great situation in life, circumstances that are in your control and going to your benefit, which implies that circumstances are the great dictator or a measurement of whether God has approved of us. And this is not, absolutely not, what Jesus is referring to when he says, blessed are the poor. And we don't have categories for that because we're like, how can they be blessed? They're poor. And yet the Apostle James would say that God has chosen the poor of this world to be the richest in faith. And we're like, how how does that even work? I'll tell you how. The kingdom of God comes and makes itself presently available in a world with different systems and turns it on its head. Jesus steps into the scene and says, I am going to reach people who've got nothing going on, the spiritual zeros, and I'm going to dump my blessings in their life. Now, he doesn't do it by any virtue of their own, and that doesn't include poverty. That doesn't mean, oh, if I'm poor enough, God will visit me. Absolutely nothing to do with anything that we have brought to the table. It just seems to happen that those who are at the bottom of the barrel of life tend to realize it more than the rest of us. And they tend, to, they tend to be more able to recognize an effective backscratcher when they see one. The word that Jesus uses is not eulogio, but makarios. Everybody say makarios. Makarios is a sense of inner happiness and joy. In spite of of outer circumstances. There's a verse in Philippians where Paul describes peace. He says, he describes a peace that surpasses our understanding, that is able to guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. I want you to try to imagine a peace of mind that you can't even understand. You even believe that? Of course you can't. It's a peace that surpasses your understanding. It's impossible to understand. But there's something out there that transcends our stuff, our securities, our creature comforts, the control that we try to wrestle over our lives. There's something out there that surpasses all of that that Jesus is speaking of when he looks at the poor of this world, the weeping of this world, the bedraggled and the haggard and the tired and the lonely and the exhausted. And he says, you can be blessed. In fact, you are living in that realm. And look at the way that he describes it. You're blessed not because you're poor, But in spite of your poverty, you're blessed because the kingdom of God has come close to you. 
in the midst of and in spite of what you lack. Those of you who, who are weeping, you're blessed. Because there will be a day where you laugh. The kingdom of God has come close to people in Christ Jesus. This type of blessing isn't even tied to our emotion. Some of us might think of blessing as simply outer happiness. But you can be depressed and blessed at the same time. Think of the Apostle Paul with Silas, falsely accused, thrown into a dungeon, beaten mercilessly, and chained to stocks, singing hymns of praise to God in spite of what was going on all around him. Why? Hashtag blessed. Think of Job. Job lost everything. Lost his home. He lost his stuff. He lost his family. He lost his wealth. His own wife was mocking him and his friends were blaming him. And in the midst of all of that, even though he was complaining and lamenting, in Job chapter 19, he would say to his friends, I know my Redeemer lives and he will stand on the earth in that day. And even though my body is decaying, in my body I will see the Lord. And Job, uh, the book of Job would go on to describe God as saying, hey, even with his lips, he never sinned against God. He was hurting, he was crying, he was suffering. But could we also say that in a deep and most true sense, he was blessed? Do we have the categories for that kind of stuff? The Bible does. And it pinpoints people like that to show us there's something beyond the stuff that we can touch and feel. The Bible says that the life of the Christian is one of faith, where we might, in the world, have a tendency to follow what we see and feel and can count and can rack up, the Bible says that we walk not by sight, but by faith. We walk by the things that we do not see. Where does faith come from? Romans tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Our lives are anchored by things we do not see and a person that is real. So your whole life can be in a spiral and you could be centered in the peace of God, able to say blessed. We never see Instagram photos like that, right? You never see people in abject poverty just like, hashtag blessed. You never see those MMA fighters that just lost the championship and are bloodied and beaten just like, blessed. But listen, those are exactly the types of people and situations that Jesus is speaking into by the power of his kingdom. I have come to help those who cannot help themselves. I have come to show true power to those who are powerless. Do you feel powerless today? Do you feel like your life is out of control? Do you feel like you have an itch that you cannot scratch? The thing about Jesus is he won't always scratch the itch. But it'll get your mind off it. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom, the one that Jesus came to all of these people in order to preach was that in spite of what you're going through. Now listen, God doesn't always take us out of what we're going through. Some of you might be going through incredible difficulty. Your family might be experiencing incredible turmoil. 
Your marriage might be struggling. Your children might be wayward. You might have experienced incredible grief and loss. Your workplace might feel like a dungeon, like Paul and Silas. Your employer might be cruel. And you might be hungry. You might not have all that you want or all that you need. And sometimes God does not turn our lives into that panoramic view of what we would hope it be. Sometimes he doesn't remove the problems that we think he should remove right in that moment. Sometimes he does not deliver us out of the fire, like with Daniel, uh, Daniel Meshach, and Abednego. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel had other problems. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't take us out of the fire. But if you read that story, you see that there's a fourth man in the fire. And while Jesus doesn't always take us out of the fire, we can, we can bet our lives that he will be present with us in the fire and that he will bring us through the fire. This is God's promise in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are going through fire, for they will not be burned, for I am with them. In spite of what you're going through, in the midst of what you're going through, in the midst of that relationship, in the midst of that job situation, God has moved close to you by grace in Christ. So here's what I, here's what I want to end on. What is your, what is your ecnestis? What is that part of your life that you cannot reach and cannot scratch? And I want you to think in just a moment of gracious self-awareness, to be honest with yourself and to ask, what are the ways in which I am striving to scratch whatever it is that I'm, I'm dealing with? It might be a struggle with identity. It might be shame. It might be guilt might be a difficult family relationship or dynamic, whatever it is, the thing that you cannot control. I want you to identify that thing. I want you to face it and not run from it. But I also don't want you to try to strive and go into problem-solving mode and try to fix it. Instead, remember that whatever you're going through, God's nearness is not measured by your situation. It's measured by his faithful love. And if you're willing to surrender, he will be found in the midst of that situation. And that is all you will ever need. So as we like to say in reality, one word from God can answer a lifetime of questions and doubts. Perhaps what you need is not some simple problem solving. Perhaps what you need today is a word from God. So stop. You're running today. Stop your striving. And even though you might be feeling all the feels, from anxiety to anger, maybe even rage, jealousy, whatever, don't try to hide those things, but bring them as we worship together to the foot of the cross and offer them to Jesus, who preaches the gospel in Luke chapter 6 by saying, I will be found in the mess that you are if you're willing. Even though there's a storm around you, Jesus can calm the storm inside you.
and he's the best at it. Heavenly Father, I just want to ask today, this afternoon, uh, for all the men and women gathered in this theater on this Sunday, and all the varieties of stories and also challenges that are probably represented here. Very different from one another, but very real to each person going through it. Perhaps there's even a sense there that they're alone in what they're going through. God, I appeal to you on behalf of my brothers and sisters this day. As you say in Psalm 139, you know. You are intimately acquainted with everybody's way. You know their thoughts from afar. You've even numbered the hair on their head. And so I want to ask, in the name of Jesus, that you would meet each of these people where they sit right now. And that in the midst of the storm, you would be found in their boat. I pray that you would bring healing to those who need healing. I pray that you would challenge those who are stubborn. I pray that you would bring clarity to minds that are confused or even blind. Whatever it is and whatever needs to be done, you are the great physician. And as it was thousands of years ago, here's a little crowd gathered around Jesus, hoping that we might get a word from you. And you reach down as you promised to do and scratch the itch. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.